Hi, this is Al Aguilar, and you're listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church, and welcome to our Sunday sermon. This is Sunday, November 13th. Last Friday was Veterans Day. Throughout this nation and around the world, wherever our nation's flag flies, some people at least pause to remember the price that had been paid for the freedoms that we enjoy. Now, on November 19, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln stood on the battlefield at Gettysburg to dedicate a portion of that land as a national cemetery. A featured speaker of that event was Edward Everett, acclaimed as the greatest classical orator of his time. He was a former United States Senator, Governor of Massachusetts, and President of Harvard University. He spoke for more than two hours to the audience of over 25,000 people. It was a masterful address, broad in its scope, and dramatic in its presentation. Next was a musical interlude by the Baltimore Glee Club, and then finally, President Lincoln was formally introduced, and the people settled back down in their chairs on the grass to listen to him. Lincoln spoke simply and clearly and startled the people by the briefness of his remarks. Now, I'm guessing most of you are already familiar with the Gettysburg Address, but I'd like you to listen again to a portion of it. After his opening sentences, Lincoln said, We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or delete. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to this unfinished work which they fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve, that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that the government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from this earth. Gettysburg does not stand alone in our memory. Time would fail if I didn't mention such places as Valley Forge, Flanders Field, Omaha Beach, Iwo Jima, Porkchop Hill, and Desert Storm. But folks, we've got to realize that if freedom is to be carried on from generation to generation, if our children and our grandchildren are to enjoy freedom, then we must be willing to pay the price because freedom is never free. Freedom is never free. I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. It sounds like a paradox when you say it, but it's true. Freedom is never free. It's also the same for forgiveness. Forgiveness is never free. That too sounds untrue at first, but before forgiveness takes place, there is always a price to be paid. Welcome to the sermon titled today, Freedom and Forgiveness Are Never Free. So with this in mind, I call your attention to Luke chapter 7. Let's start with verses 36 to 39. This incident and the parable Jesus shares are of particular importance to us. 
Follow along as I read, once again, Luke 7, verses 36 to 39. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus had been invited to the home of a Pharisee by the name of Simon. This is quite something because the Pharisees saw Jesus as a threat to their power, their teachings, and to their very legalistic system. They saw Jesus as their enemy. Not all of them did, of course, but most of them resented him and his teachings. But this Pharisee invited Jesus to his home. We're not sure exactly why, but he did invite him, and Jesus accepted the invitation. So let me describe for you this scene. When a guest arrived, it was normal or customary to make him feel welcomed by going through certain common courtesies. First of all, his feet would be washed. A guest's feet would be caked with dirt after walking in sandals on the dusty roads. So a servant would greet him at the door with a basin of water and would wash and dry his feet. After his feet had been washed, the host would come and greet him with a kiss to make him feel welcome and let him know that he was an honored guest. Then it was courtesy to anoint the head of the guest with some sweet-smelling, cooling oil. Maybe it was because of the hot sun. Maybe some of the men were a little thin on top and slightly sunburned. I'm not exactly sure why, but it was customary to use oil to anoint the head of a guest. All these things went together to say, you're welcome in my home. But when Jesus visited the home of this Pharisee, none of these things happened. Luke says that Jesus sat down at the table without his feet being washed, without the customary kiss, or the anointing of oil. Then as they began eating, an unusual thing happened. Luke calls this woman a sinner, and the word he uses means an immoral woman, a prostitute. She came to where they were eating, probably at an outdoor patio, to take advantage of the evening breezes. She stood at the feet of Jesus and started weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she dried them with her hair. Then she broke a vial of expensive perfume and anointed his feet and began kissing them. All the while, Simon the Pharisee was watching. He was greatly offended by what was going on because this woman was now doing all the things that he should have done to Jesus to make him welcome. Simon knew what kind of woman she was. So as he judges her, he also judges Jesus. He assumes that by Jesus not stopping her, he is condoning immorality. Simon's thinking, if this man really were a prophet, he would know that she's an immoral woman. Jesus knows what Simon was thinking. And Jesus knew more about her than Simon did. When Simon looked at her, all he saw was a prostitute, a sinner, someone to be shunned. But Jesus saw her as a repentant sinner, a precious soul, seeking some way to express her love and appreciation for what Jesus had come to mean to her. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things in this passage that you might not have seen before. Verse 37 begins with these words. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town. Now stop right there. It doesn't say who is living a sinful life. It says who had lived a sinful life. That's past tense, isn't it? Now, if your Bible is a study Bible with detailed footnotes at the bottom of the page, it'll probably point that fact out. My study Bible says she must have heard Jesus preach and in repentance, she determined to lead a new life. In a few moments, we're going to be reading verse 47, where in speaking about her, Jesus says her many sins have been forgiven. 
I think you can safely conclude that Jesus had met her before, had already forgiven her, and she had become one of his followers. That's why she'd followed him there that evening. Now let's continue on with verses 40 to 43. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. So Jesus says that one of these men owe the money lender 500 denarii and the other owed him 50. Now don't try to translate that into dollars because it can be very easily confusing. Just remember that a denarius represented a day's wage. So one man owed the equivalent of 50 working days and the other owed 500 working days. Now using a five-day work week, one man owed him 10 weeks work and the other owed him 100 weeks or almost two years of work. So in effect, Jesus says, Simon, neither of them could pay their debts. So the money lender tells them, I know that you don't have the money, so I'm going to cancel your debts and you'll no longer owe me anything. Now then, Simon, which one of them would love him more? I imagine that Simon was sitting there and his mouth was just open. First of all, to think that a money lender would not collect what was owed him was unreal. Simon couldn't even imagine that happening with the money lenders he knew. Secondly, he was probably trying to figure out why Jesus was telling him that story. He couldn't see the point to it. But he went ahead and he answered the question that Jesus had been asking. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled, he said. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Verses 44 to 47 tell us, Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Now, how does this passage of scripture tie into the feelings of patriotism that we've expressed today? Well, I really think it does, because freedom and forgiveness relate to each other in so many ways. For example, the first way is every one of us is in debt. Every person that's here today, listening or in person or watching the video, is in debt to society, to our nation and to God. We're all debtors. Now, if I were to talk about atonement or regeneration, some of you might go out scratching your heads. But when I talk about being in debt, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All of us are debtors. An important asset when you're in debt is a good memory. If you don't remember to whom you owe money, you're going to have a lot of trouble. And Simon's problem was that he had a poor memory. I imagine when Simon looked at himself, he thought, God, you're lucky to have me on your team. I'm pretty special. I've memorized the law and I pray beautiful prayers and I do many significant things for you. I'm a Pharisee and I've mastered the art of being a Pharisee. God, I'm a pretty special guy. What Simon forgot was that he was a sinner too. His sins were sins of the heart, but he didn't recognize them as sins. So it was easy for him to forget that he needed forgiveness too. Isn't it easy for us to forget how indebted we are to those who paid a price to achieve freedom for us? Isn't it easy to come into God's house and open your Bibles and forget those early pilgrims who crossed the ocean to settle in this new land for the glory of God? 
We put hamburgers on the grill and sit around enjoying the material blessings that God has given us and forget the blood that was shed so that the stars and stripes could fly in the breeze and we could still enjoy the freedom that we have as citizens of the United States of America. We owe a great debt to those who have gone before us. We also owe a great debt to our God who has redeemed and forgiven us. We are all debtors. Secondly, we can never repay that debt. You know, if my creditors should somehow decide to collect everything I owe all at once, I would be in deep trouble because I owe more than I can pay all at once. I can whittle away at it, but I couldn't pay it all back if everyone wanted their money at the same time. When I think of the debt I owe to our forefathers for the freedoms that we enjoy, I realize that it's also a debt that I can't pay. And when I think of the debt I owe God in heaven for the price he paid for my sins, I realize that I can't pay that either. Now back to our story. This woman came to Jesus and stood at his feet. She wet his feet with her tears and tried to dry them with her hair. Then she anointed him with oil. It was an expression of gratitude and love. You say, well, that's the way to pay God back. But she wasn't paying him back. All she was doing was saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. That's all we can do too, folks. We can never pay God back, but we can roll up our sleeves and go to work. We can worship, we can serve, we can cry, we can pray. We can even seek to reach others for Jesus. We can do all that, but we will never be able to pay the debt that we owe our God. And finally, forgiveness is available to everyone. First of all, we stated that all of us are spiritually in debt. Secondly, we said we can never repay that debt. Now we're saying that since we can't pay it, we stand in need of forgiveness from it. And the good news is that forgiveness is available to everyone, but forgiveness is not free. Forgiveness always costs something. For the money lender, it cost him 550 denarii to forgive those who were indebted to him. A small amount when compared to the debts we're talking about. But forgiveness always costs something. When God said, I forgive you of your sin, think of the price that he paid. Before forgiveness, there was the agony of Gethsemane. Before forgiveness, there was his death upon the cross, his burial, and then his resurrection. That price had to be paid. The ledger had to be clear before forgiveness could be ours. But now that it's been paid, it's available to all. Isn't that also true of our freedom? The price has been paid. It is available to all in this land. That's why we rejoice at the Declaration of Independence. That's why we rejoice in the Statue of Liberty, because freedom is available to all of us in this great land. Let me bring this message to a close today. Robert McCormack was a sergeant in World War I. He nearly lost his life while saving the life of Major Harry Parkin. Fortunately, both men survived the war. From that day on until he died 25 years later, in April of every year, Parkin wrote McCormack a letter of gratitude. The last letter Parkin wrote contained this brief note. Dear Bob, I again want to express to you my appreciation for another year of life, which I would not have enjoyed had it not been for you and the price you were willing to pay to save my life. I want you to know I am grateful. Beloved, today God's forgiveness is available. He offers it to you through his son, Jesus Christ. The price has been paid and he invites you to receive it now. Will you come to receive that today? Will you declare that Jesus is the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. Confess your sins to him. Repent of those sins. Turn away from them. Declare Jesus as Lord of your life and be baptized, immersed under the water, and rise up in newness of life to serve him. Freedom and forgiveness are never free, but because of what Jesus has done, we have the opportunity, you have the opportunity today to come to him. Will you? Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.